0: you can change the terms and call it what you want but it doesn't change the sin in god's eyes and when the church sends a mixed message as to what is right and what is wrong we've given the culture permission to live immorally
1: welcome to search the scriptures the bible teaching ministry of dr carl brogey Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part two of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, Pursuing Moral Purity, as he reminds us that when we think about sanctification, we should think about positional sanctification versus practical sanctification. Furthermore, we will see that when we replace human psychology with the revelation of the Holy Scripture, then we are basically denying the sufficiency of Scripture by redefining sin as disorders. Please join us in 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 as we continue. And so if you and
0: I want to walk and please God, if we want to be active soldiers, if we don't want to be AWOL, so to speak, then we had better listen up because what we are saying, Paul said, is generated from the Lord himself. And by the way, that's what we do as Christians. The message we share from this book is not generated from us. It comes from the very breath of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Specifically, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, the word sanctification is a very important word in the New Testament. In its simplest definition, it means to be set apart. And contextually, it's habitually used as someone who is set apart as holy. Uh, You may have some sanctified dishes in your home some special dishes that you don't use for ordinary everyday use, but you just take out when the guests come your nicest dishes, something that is set apart. On the biblical realm, the word sanctification is used of something or somebody that is set apart for a specific purpose. For instance, in the Old Testament, the vessels and the dishes that were used in the worship of God in the temple were set apart. They weren't ordinary. They were used in a very specific way for a very specific purpose. Well, under the new covenant, believers are described as sanctified as set apart people. And so, Paul underscores this truth, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 3.17. You might want to put that out in the margin, 1 Corinthians 3.17. Let me read it to you. He describes that we, the church, are the temple of God, and he's making a contrast between believers and false teachers. He says if anyone destroys the temple of God, he's not talking about you, you know, smoking a cigarette or that's not a good thing to do, it's harmful to the body, but that's not the point of the verse. The point of the verse is these false teachers who come in with their false doctrine, and what they are doing is they are harming the church, the temple of God. If anyone destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Likewise, in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you've been bought with a price. Therefore, you are to glorify God in your body. In other words, under the old covenant, God had a temple for his people. Under the new covenant, God has a people who are his temple. And as the temple of God, we are set apart. You know, it's not a good thing to pray, "Uh, Lord, we thank you that we're in your house today. This is not God's house. It's no more his house than the house I live in out in Seabrook and that he owns it all. Now it is a special place he's given us for the people of God to meet and to gather. But you meet people today who are more concerned with the stained glass and the pews and the rugs and the way the building looks than they are with themselves. The church never once ever in all of the New Testament is ever referred to as a building. It is always referred to as the people of God. And so we as the temple are to be set apart. So when we think about sanctification, we need to think about positional sanctification versus practical sanctification. Positional sanctification refers to the status that you have. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. God made him who had never sinned, Jesus, to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. If this Bible is Christ and this watch is me, if I am in Christ, then I have the righteousness of God in Christ. I am set apart as holy. It's nothing I earned. It's nothing I achieved. It is something that I received as a gift. It is something that became, and so in the New Testament, every born-again, blood-bought believer is described as a saint. That's positional sanctification, and it's used repeatedly in a past tense. You've been sanctified, past tense. Then there's practical sanctification. That's what he's dealing with here. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, he wants you in your practice to become what he has declared you in your position. There's actually a third dimension to sanctification. Turn over a page to chapter 5. Go to chapter 5 and verse 23. It's what we might call prospective sanctification. And it's when positional sanctification and and practical sanctification meet as one and your sin nature is eradicated. Listen to these words, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When that happens, when you receive this resurrection body, when your sin nature is eradicated and you have a body like Christ, your salvation will be completed. So we've been saved in the past. We're being saved in the present. We will be saved in the future. And really, each dimension of sanctification reflects that, as do other words in the New Testament. So Paul writes, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with His glory. So that's the third aspect. But we're dealing here with practical sanctification. Now, I went through that because as you read the Scripture, it is important that you make those delineations. Hold your finger here and turn to 1 Corinthians 6. I haven't actually had you turn there yet, but we've used this verse in in each of uh, the messages on morality. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And, of course, If you uh, go to the city of Corinth, you see through the archaeological remains what a pagan place it was. I've I've been to Corinth and stood at actually the place uh, that Paul described as the Bama Seat. Uh, But sexual immorality was so covered over in that city that they took this word Corinthian. So to Corinthianize, in Greek, meant to commit sexual immorality. It was a dirty city. And he says here in chapter 6, and in verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Look, there are many deceived people today. They have bought into modern Christian psychology instead of biblical truth. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. This is a specialized use of the word porneia. It refers to premarital sex. Nor idolaters. Now, about a third of the world still worships at some object. When I was in India, I'd never seen so many idols in my life. They say they have some 300 million gods. I'm not sure how they count all those, but they're everywhere. Everything's a god, and let's make it an object of worship. A third of the world still does that. But understand in the New Testament, idolatry is much broader. Paul can say greed is idolatry. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, adulterers. that's extramarital sex. Sex after you're married with someone who's not your wife. Nor feminine, nor homosexuals. Two words describing this abhorrent lifestyle. One describing the passive partner in a homosexual relationship. The other, the active partner. Nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards. I was dealing with a a friend recently, and he's just so discouraged. His sons a drunk. And through all these programs, I said, look, until your son sees that this is a spiritual problem, he's never going to change. You see, people say drunkenness, alcoholism is a sickness. If it's a sickness like cancer or some other kind of sickness, how can God hold you morally responsible? Now, it will sicken the body. It will destroy your, your, your body, but it's not a sickness. We're talking about an enslavement to sin. So don't be deceived. Nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. What is he doing? He's drawing home a point that people who live like this, people who are characterized by these things, have never been born again. So take the first item on the list, porneia, fornication. It refers to premarital sex. The word porneia can be used in a very specific way or broad way. For instance, they said of Jesus in John 8, we weren't born of porneia. In other words, you're here, Jesus, because of an illegitimate relationship that Mary had. Sex before, quote-unquote, marriage during the betrothal. Sometimes it's used in a broad way. He's using it very specifically here. And so we have all these young people say, well, I'm not committing adultery. God says, thou shall not commit adultery. Uh -uh, I'm just having sex before I'm married and there's nothing wrong with that. You can change the terms and call it what you want, but it doesn't change the sin in God's eyes. And when the church sends a mixed message as to what is right and what is wrong, we've given the culture permission to live immorally. Here's a picture of the Pope on the day this particular interview came, the man there with the beard asked the question, and he asked Pope Francis to uh, respond about what is called the gay lobby in the Vatican, to which Pope Francis said this, and I quote, a lot is written about the gay lobby. I still have not seen anyone in the Vatican with an identity card saying they are gay. The media say they are there. I think when one has found, a person like this, we need to distinguish between the fact that they are a gay person and the fact that there is a gay lobby. If a person is gay and seeks God and has good will, who am I to judge? Now, the Pope should know that there is no need to judge anyone when God has already made a judgment. You know, we used to ask rhetorically, is the Pope Catholic, meaning yes, to drive home a point, and of course the answer now is, no, the Pope is no longer Catholic. He's gone against his own doctrinal positions that the church teaches. But God is clear, and when we're fuzzy, when you have J.D. Greer, the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and now the new president, Ed Litton, say that God whispers about sexual immorality... That's a gross distortion of truth. And when J.D. Greer says that we should use transgender pronouns to be hospitable to people, look, I'm not in favor of being mean or kind. I had a guy who came and worked in my yard recently, and I was talking to him about different moral issues. And, yeah, those gay people, man, we used to take them out and beat them up in the woods. That's not right. That's evil. You should be compassionate. Do everything you can to win them to Jesus. You know, go out and beat them up. But understand, God's word is clear. There are certain things, premarital sex, extramarital sex, abnormal sex, that God calls wicked, and it invites the wrath of God. Jesus said that there are two principal reasons people really use, and it's not just taught by him, but through his apostles, through whom he spoke, why people don't come to Christ. One reason is they love the darkness, so they don't come to the light. People love darkness. So when they come to the light, their sin is exposed. My wife was in Walmart yesterday with two of our granddaughters, and she said, they're just kind of frozen there. They're just looking at this person and And then, as we walked away, they said, Emma, was he a man? She said, Yes. He was a man, but he was dressed like a woman with a skirt and mascara and a female name. Now, we have reached out to that man before. He's a man. But you do such a person a gross disservice when you call Stephanie Stephen, when you call Peter Pam, you don't use hospitable pronouns. You have to hold God's truth. So some people, they don't come to Christ because they want to hide behind their sin, and there's a lot of clever ways in which to do it. One is we help feed it when we have pulpits that won't tell people the truth. And now psychology has walked in the front door of the evangelical church. And so we have no longer taught what Scripture plainly says, and we've replaced it with human psychology. When you replace human psychology with the revelation of Holy Scripture, you're basically denying the sufficiency of Scripture. And so what do we do? We've redefined sin as disorders and as diseases. Look, if gluttony is just an eating disorder, if adultery and rape and fornication and pornography are just sexual addictions, if drunkenness is just a disease, if homosexuality is just an alternative lifestyle, then people are not really sinning, they're just making different kinds of choices. If self-destructive behavior is not quote-unquote sin, then you don't need a savior. You need a therapist. And so we have a world of victims and Christians who are afraid to tell people the truth because you think you'll be unloving. Look, Nancy Pelosi is so unloving with the wickedness she has coming down the pike. She says she loves homosexual people. She hates them according to God because she has an agenda that is only gonna further legitimize wickedness and persecute evangelical Christians and lead people away from the kingdom of God. But this is what God said would happen at the end of time. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. Listen to these words that Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4. For the time will come when they will not endure a sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And that's why the evangelical church has lost its evangelistic zeal. If you get your ears tickled long enough, you'll no longer see unbelievers as lost sinners but as hurting victims. They don't need a Savior. They need some counselor who's going to come alongside and, and help them, but they don't really need a Savior. And some people, they either hide behind their own sin or they hide behind the sin of others. Jesus dealt with it in a whole chapter of Scripture during the last week of His public ministry woe to you hypocrites, woe to you hypocrites, woe to you hypocrites, over and over and over and over again. And people say, look, I'm not a Christian because there's so many hypocrites in the church. Of course there's hypocrites in the church. There's always been hypocrites in the church. There always will be because the wheat and the tare will be mixed together until the end of the age. But in a Bible-believing church where the Word of God is taught, is true. There'll be less hypocrites. It won't be full of hypocrites because typically when the truth is taught, people will either get right or get out. I spoke with a visitor. She said, I'm never coming back. Why? You don't like LGBTQ people. I said, I love them. Yeah, but you say it's sinful. Yes, I do. I'm never coming back. (laughs) There's the door, man. You don't have to. But I said I would be unloving to tell a person who's living in fornication or adultery and homosexuality that they can do that and call themselves a good Christian. In fact, Paul says most people who are using the banner of hypocrisy as a reason not to believe, they themselves are hypocrites. You are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment, for in that you judge another you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. Now, one of the reasons that Christians are not passionate today about their sanctification, about their practice of holiness, is because, again, there's so much compromise, and they go home at night, and they fill their minds with sitcoms and documentaries and talk shows and television series that are filled with filth and compromise. And when you subject your mind to that habitually over and over and over again, year after year, after a while, you'll get numb. And the things that you will entertain yourself on and the things that you will begin to laugh at, you will no longer take seriously. And so we will lose our ability to be a bright light and we will lose our effectiveness in the kingdom. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. I read it to you last week. For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear... How will it be made known what is spoken? For you'll be speaking in the air. Look, you won't even be able to speak with any authority if your lifestyle doesn't match what the Scripture says. You won't want to speak with that authority because you will have lost the unctioning power of the Spirit of God. And that's why some of you never lead people to Christ. You can talk, you can come here as a Pharisee and make fun of this preacher, but you can't remember the last time you introduced someone into the kingdom. And that's not God's plan for you. You've short, short-circuited the Spirit of God in His work in your life because of compromise. And when you fill your mind with trash, you have not set your body apart in sanctification and honor. Now, let me read verse 11. We didn't come to it yet. You're still in 1 Corinthians, right? Mm-hmm. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. Notice past tense. You were sanctified. Speaking of position, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God, meaning anybody can be saved. Look, there's hope for the homosexual. There's hope for the drunkard. There's hope for the fornicator. There's hope for any of us because we're all sinners. We can be saved and such were some of you. Paul is saying, look, many of you Corinthians originally were homosexuals. You were drunkards, you were crooks, you were fornicators, you were adulterers. But not anymore. God has set you apart as holy. And so he goes on in the rest of the chapter to say, I want your experience to match this position that you have. Now, back here at verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians 4 for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Do you want to please God? Do you want to excel still more? Then this is the will of God, namely, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, some of the older English translations would say fornication. But this is a specialized, broad use of the word. He's not referring specifically to uh, literal sexual immorality before marriage, but the broad use of it. And so sometimes, you know, like Jesus will say, out of the heart of man comes fornications and adulteries. Is he repeating himself? No. It's two distinct thoughts in mind premarital sex, extramarital sex. Or sometimes the word "pornia" we get our word pornography from it, is used in a broad sense of any kind of sexual immorality. Context, again, determines what is in view. God wants us to abstain from sexual immorality. And outside of marriage, Paul is simply saying, with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are not to be immoral people. Now, we have the first generation of young people and teenagers who have grown up with unbridled pornography. The numbers I read are chilling of eight to 12-year-old boys who are viewing pornography. When I was a child, there was one street in Worcester where you could get it. And then eventually, as life began to change, it was behind the counter and they usually had some kind of piece of cardboard over it, but now it's everywhere. And you can see anything you want to see, and it is destroying homes. And then people get married, and they realize it has destroyed their marriage. Time magazine did a whole issue about a year ago of all these men in their 20s who are arguing that you shouldn't be involved in pornography because it ruins you physically. These were not believers. These were non-Christians. You think it's by accident that it seems like every other commercial is about some pill you should take? When God says, thou shall not, it is to protect you and it's to provide the best for you. And when we ignore what God says, we are destroying ourselves. He's speaking about how we can walk and please the Lord. And when you speak in such black and white terms, you're viewed as fanatical. Today, you know, people won't say to abstain. They'll just say, well, be discreet. They won't say to abstain. They'll say, just take precautions. If you're an employer or a principal or a supervisor, they might say, well, it, it might be unwise to get involved with this person, but don't abstain necessarily. Be careful. Make sure you're in love, but don't abstain. Now remember, this is instruction. This is instruction that comes as a commandment from Christ himself. And he is writing to a church that is filled with idolatry. In the opening chapter, you turn from your idols to the living God. I've only been to Thessalonica once, but when you go there, there's a museum and they have all these idols and they're just, well, it's first century pornography. It's disgusting. People say, oh, that's artwork. That's not artwork, that's first century porn. Go to Rome, they got all these nude statues. That's not artwork, that's pornography. You say, how so? Go home and read Leviticus 18, you'll think differently. Look, the way you think is either geared and set by Holy Scripture or something else. But understand, the idols that they worship represented gods, and their gods were gods of sexual immorality. And so he says, you turn from your idolatry to the living God. Now, hold your finger here and turn to the book of Jeremiah. If you're new to the Bible, if you find Psalms, Psalms is about dead center, and then scan to the right and you'll find Jeremiah the prophet, and you'll want to go to Jeremiah chapter 6, Jeremiah chapter 6. It's an important chapter of Scripture, Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah has often been called the weeping prophet because he lived to see his nation fall and crumble. And he ended up writing the next book right after Jeremiah called Lamentations, which is a Hebrew word for for weeping. And of course, he's weeping because of the gross immoral compromise in his day. And among other things, sexual immorality was rampant in Israel, in Judah. The people of Judah were living immorally, and it was bringing the impending judgment that God had promised. They had hedged on the standards of God. They they had lost their sharp edge as to what was right and what was wrong. Look at verse 13. For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. In other words, there's a problem that's pervasive from the preacher to the people in the pew. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. That's our day. That's the pulpit in America. Superficial healing, because there's superficial teaching. Now look at verse 15. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. This is where it comes from. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall, At the time that I punish them, they will be cast down, says the Lord. And that's the ultimate consequence of a culture that's covered over in moral laxity. You have a nation of unblushables. And again, that is where
1: America is today. To listen again to today's sermon, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. Remember that you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program PMP-021B. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you would like to help sustain this ministry, click the Give button on our app at searchthescriptures.org. Please join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.